Kenyan runners can be tough competition. There are multiple reasons as to why this part of East Africa produces so many world-class runners, but one undoubted factor is altitude. Many of these cross-country runners have won several medals in different championships, and they hope to bring more of them home. But the gleam for many of those medals was recently tarnished. In April, Demaris Mutemutua, a Kenyan-born runner for Bahrain, was found dead in her home in Kenya's Rift Valley. Today we did an autopsy, and uh, the report shows there was a general strangulation. This follows the murder last year of Kenyan record holder Agnes Tiro. The world was at Agnes Tiro's feet, a glittering career with a growing list of accolades by age 25. Sad beyond words. Her husband is charged in the case. And now, a fellow runner is trying to bring attention to the issue of gender violence in Kenya, first highlighted by Tidope's killing. But is Kenya ready to hear what she has to say? I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. When I started running, I was a 1,500-meter runner. Joan Chalimo is a wife, mother, and a runner. A really fast runner. She started competing professionally about 10 years ago. The 1,500-meter was her race since she was in school in Kenya. And she met a coach who told her she was fast enough to run that race outside of Kenya, amongst the fastest in the world. So I met this coach who told me you can go to run races in Spain that is 1,500 to 5,000. The idea of traveling to another country for any reason was pretty exciting for Joan back then. It was really nice because I was really young, 21. I grew up in a village and I really wanted to, to just get out to know other cultures. She wanted to see the world. So she took the coach's advice and headed off to Spain to run her 1,500 meter race. When I arrived there, it was half marathon, and I never trained for half marathon before. She was excited, but now she was also worried. Still, she did the half marathon, and she won. It felt good when I was first place, because I did not train for it. I did a one hour, 15 minutes for my first half marathon. Back then in 2011, it was Not bad, really good. And then I was so motivated in a way that I'll go back to Kenya and train for half marathon. I really felt good. I had champagne that day. I really celebrated. Things changed, and not just for her. The whole village was happy for me because girls in my village, they were not really exposed. And when I started running, they were really curious, but they really got motivated and some started running. Joan's mother was also a runner, but she was a different generation. She never had the chance to travel to compete. I really feel good with running. I think it's my passion. It it makes me go to different places, especially right now, New York, Boston, and I can travel to many cities. And when I win, especially now because I am a mom now, my daughter is six years, nine months. So it really motivates me in a way because I can run, I feel so good, especially when I win. It's it's a, a very nice feeling. 
that's what makes me train so hard. I want to win, 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 win. There is a lot that Joan loves about running for Kenya, but not everything. I mean, Kenyan running, international media, you know, they just know about Kenyans running fast. They are so fast, but they don't know about what we go through as women. As one record holders, because after these women win, their money, their athletics earnings are taken away. So it's really hard because they end up with nothing. Like Agnes, for instance, as much as she was known internationally, Agnes had nothing. It's really sad. Joan is talking about Agnes Tidope. She won two world champion bronze medals for Kenya. She placed fourth in the 5,000 meters in the Tokyo Olympics last August. Then in September... 25-year-old Agnes Tirop hit the headlines for setting a new world record in the women 10-kilometer race in Germany. She set the world record. She was uh, well-known in Kenya. And then the athletes here who do win you know, major events abroad, they become heroes. People feel proud about the successes of athletes. Malcolm Webb is Al Jazeera's correspondent in Kenya. And he's been covering these runners, along with everything else in Kenya, for years. In a world where wealthier, more powerful countries dominate so many things, it really, I guess, gives people something that they really enjoy to see uh, Kenyans being among the very best in the world. So, Malcolm, the running community was hit with some bad news at the end of last year when Agnes Tiro was reported killed. Can you tell me about what happened? What do we know? So it was in October last year. She was found dead in her home in the town of Aten, which is where she visited. She had stab wounds in her neck and in her bodies. Authorities believe, and so do I think friends and neighbors, that there was a, a kind of domestic incident in which she was stabbed. And then a search followed for her husband, who went missing. And then it was a couple of weeks later that police found him in the coast port city of Mombasa. And he was uh, subsequently arrested and charged with the murder of Agnes Tirop. Joan had trained with Agnes. They ran together. Agnes was a friend to me. I knew her when I was running up marathon. So when word got out about the murder, another friend of theirs called Joan right away. One of my friends called me. I was in my house. They told me that, oh, Joan, there's something that has happened. It's really sad news. Agnes has been murdered. So I did not believe. I went there to her house. I see her just lying helplessly on the ground. And it was really sad for me. I just got over by emotions and People are there just seeing her lying helplessly. She's dead, blood, full of blood on the floor. Yeah. Several thoughts started rushing through Joan's head. We could not run, train. We were just, every time I sleep, I was thinking about her and what she went through because it was really bad. It was really a very sad moment to lose a friend to lose a great athlete with great talent. And the fact that she did not die a natural death, it makes me more sad. 
after that night, I just said to myself, it should not have happened. It should not happen again to any other woman in the world. It was really bad moment for all of us. Joan started thinking back to the time they spent together, but not just reminiscing. In a way, she was looking for clues. One funny thing is just we met in training and could only catch up in training because later we learned that the, the husband could not allow her to talk or to have other friends or other people around her. I can say we could just talk about music our cultural music. It was music, training, but her personal life and stuff, no. When you ask her, like, oh, she's, I'm okay, I'm fine. She could not tell you about what she's going through. Later we learned she was beaten up, she was being abused. You just meet her, she's still smiling, she's okay, but you, we do not know what she was going through. Later, after the Olympic studies, she showed me a photo of her when she was beaten by the husband, and then she moved out of the house, like one kilometer away from where the husband lived, for like a month, for like one month. And uh, the husband could manage to talk to her, to get back to her, and that is the night when she was killed. The same day she got back. Joan was having a hard time just sitting with the news. Everybody was just talking about it, but nobody was doing anything. And yeah, like, we, we really had to, to wake up and just, yeah, to do something. And it wasn't just Joan who wanted to do something, Malcolm says. That prompted a sort of national outcry. There was a lot of coverage in uh, the domestic press in Kenya and a lot of outcry on social media. Uh, and then it's prompted several other athletes, female athletes, to come forward since then and say that they have been suffering from domestic violence and that this was a, a familiar problem to them. Mm. Was this incident still heavy on the minds of the athletes that you met when you were there? Yeah, yeah. There were two other athletes that we interviewed. Ruth Bossibiri, who was a steeplechase champion, 3,000-meter steeplechase, uh, was her main event. I started my career at uh, the year 2007-2008. We were in the yard of a home in the town, uh, or near the town of Aten. There were some... Chickens running around in the yard, her child was nearby. It's a place where many of the world's fastest long-distance runners come from, perched on the edge of a plateau that overlooks the Great Rift Valley. Uh, and it's sort of the capital of running in Kenya, you could say. It's uh, quite a high elevation, and that's one of the factors that contributes to many of the world's fastest long-distance runners coming from there. Otherwise, it's a rural area, quite sort of rocky ground. The people do a bit of small-scale farming, a bit of herding, and then running is an industry, I guess. 
every morning at sunrise. It's very normal to see dozens of athletes or aspiring athletes in brightly coloured clothes running long distances, you know, before they've even had their breakfast at high speed as well. Lots of sort of very lightly framed people really uh, going for it and sort of knocking out 10k at sunrise. I mean, there are a handful of uh, world champions. One estimate was about 3,000 people who are kind of running professionally, and then many, many more who aspire to make a living from running because it is one of the only opportunities there. Uh, and then for each athlete that's earning money from running, as is normal in Kenya, then there will be many other people depending off the person, relatives, uh, friends, and so on, you know, parents in the farm, in the village. So it's definitely something that's key to the whole community and, uh, and the livelihood of, of everybody there. Has it inspired you to take up running when you, when you see people completing a, a 10K first thing in the morning in their groups of brightly colored clothes? Uh, when you see those guys running, then the thing that you feel is that you've got no chance of keeping up because they're quick. Yeah, all very quick. Mm-hmm. But Ruth Basabori had a chance, a very good chance. She was a star runner at a young age and won the 2007 African title in the steeplechase when she was 19. She ran the event barefoot. Malcolm spoke to her in the town of Iten. There were lots of winnings, she said, in 2008 and then in 2009. And then we were talking, you were talking about 2009 and that you were winning first, second, first, first, all of these different races. Do you know how much money you won? Yes, if I can sit down and calculate. But, uh, like just a rough estimate? I don't $60,000. Just $60,000, that was from 2009. Roughly, do you know how much you made in prizes over that whole period? I can't tell unless I, I sit down and uh, calculate, but I made good money. Yeah. Yes. What happened to that money? When I started my career, I was young. I was 19 from school. I can say I got a boyfriend and then we started to stay together. But everything, uh, I went to his name. Everything is under his name. So me, I don't have anything. Yeah, Everything we acquired, properties, he put them under his name. And then what happened? Uh, and then uh, he left me. He left me with the children. I have two children with him. So he left me on my home with the children. Yes. You thought that these investments were made together. Do you not have access to these investments, to this property? No, I don't have access. And did you ask him to give you your share or your property? Yes, I tried to ask him, but uh, he was not ready. He was not ready to give me back. So I feel uh, lonely. I'm so stressed. Especially uh, when I saw what happened to Highness last year, it broke my heart because I'm in the same situation. So I also fear because you never know. Like I'm staying here, the, the property is not mine. So I don't know whether this person may... One day might uh, wake up and come and uh, maybe send people to eliminate me or to evacuate me from here and I don't have anywhere to go. 
And it's not just the property, the investments, the money, Ruth told Malcolm. She fears for her personal safety, too. He was violent. Was he violent many times? Mm, not many times, but uh, sometimes, yes. Even uh, when I'm training, sometimes uh, I'm not uh, psychologically fit, so it's affecting me even now. I used to run good, I had money. Now I sometimes uh, I cannot be able to, even training is a problem because you need money so that you can train. So sometimes uh, it breaks my heart. I don't have sometimes resources for training, to buy shoes, to buy food, because I have children, they have to go to school. It is affecting me a lot, yes. And are you the only person you think who's been affected like this or? or? No, no, but uh, you know the problem is some, they are not ready to speak out. They're suffering in silence. Yes. Joan also knows about Ruth's case and that there are many others. They were calling me. You cannot imagine um, how many girls called me, telling me they are abused by the husbands or the coaches or their partners. Last year, the number of gender-based violence cases in Kenya quintupled to more than 5,000. And experts say there are likely many more. Since Agnes's death, Jones joined with a few friends, women, fellow runners, and they've started a foundation. They haven't been up long, but they're getting calls already. We learned that our community, we need to eradicate part of our culture and have forums to teach them and seminars and events where we can, they can just come freely and express what what they are going through, or even they're intimidated by their husbands or their big black male, because the main problem here is to speak up. People don't speak up. But there are also people, Joan says, who are working against her and what she's trying to do. When you try to speak up, they see you as the victim. They even make jokes about it. People will call them names. And our society views marriage as the most important thing. They don't encourage divorce or separation. Joan was ready to start a movement. She says they had a thousand t-shirts made up. Then she started hearing people saying things about her group that she says aren't true. We are against marriage. We are against many things. It was really challenging for us when we started the foundation. The men, they were against us. For instance, the top athletes who, are, who run the world, who are marathoners, they are well-known, they never use their platform to condemn this issue. It was really sad. We were very upset as women, especially for Agnes. But Joan is not a woman accustomed to giving up. We are not going to stop until they get it into their head that women are not properties, Women are just not meant to survive. They should also survive. And there is at least one man in her life who isn't going to stop either, her husband. I'm so lucky to have him in my life because he's working tirelessly and trying to convince other men that it's a good thing. So 
it's a privilege for me. It's really nice to be with with him. And now her organization, Tirup's Angels, named for Agnes Tirup, is up and running. And she says, finally, things are going well. We had to do things step by step. And we are lucky that we have been registered. We have been approved. We have been up for a month now. We have a lot of objectives and aims to teach these women how to be independent, how to save your money, how to put properties in your names. We want to get places or shelter homes because we have none. Our objective, as it grows, we expand to other regions. So that is some of the things we have plans to do. We are reaching out to stakeholders, to companies, to sponsors. We reach out to Adidas, and they're really supportive. Joan wants to change her generation. In 10 years, she doesn't want it to be like this anymore. Nobody, nobody can stop us anymore. And that's The Take. This episode was produced by Amy Walters with Alexandra Locke, Ney Alvarez, Ruby Zaman, Nagin Oliai, and me, Malika Bilal. Aya Al-Milek and Munira Al-Tosadi are our engagement producers. And Alex Roldan is our sound designer. Seth Samuel designed this episode. We'll be back.